The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. My name is Jeff Long. I serve as the lead pastor here. I have the primary responsibility of preaching and teaching on a week-in and week-out basis. And today we come to Galatians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 16 through 26. After today, we have three weeks left as we work our way through chapter 6 of Galatians. So today our focus is Galatians 5, beginning with verse 16. Let me just encourage you as we open and read the Word of God that what you just sang would be your prayer as we enter into the teaching of the Word in this part of our worship together. Let's stand as we share the Word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that as we approach your word, we would do so with humility, that we would do so with reverence, that we would understand this is your word. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lead us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's the main idea this morning. When followers of Christ live and walk by the Spirit, they will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Really answering this question today. How do I live the Christian life? How does this play out in my life on a day-to-day moment-to-moment way. Let me say clearly, this is not the result of human technique. I'm not here today to give you 10 steps to victory. I'm here today to show you that only through the supernatural work of God can you walk and live by the Spirit. Galatians 5.1 For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Beginning here in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul is unpacking for us what it means to walk and to live in the freedom of Christ. So this text is just a further clarification of the nature of our true freedom in Jesus. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery is being ruled by the flesh. Freedom is yielding to the Holy Spirit. So freedom ultimately then is not attainable by human potential. 
It is a supernatural work of the spirit. So I say to you, along with this text, walk by the spirit. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now here's an assumption. It's critical you get this assumption in the text. The assumption is that we have lingering effects of our flesh. The lingering effect of sinful desire. So the question is not how do I overcome desire? It's crucial. The question is how do I overcome the gratification of the desire? He says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify. It's not just give in, it's satisfy. The desires of the flesh. So what we've got to realize, brothers and sisters, that this gratifying of the flesh, the lingering effects of our flesh are still with us. So as I was preparing this message, I was sitting in my study at home and I look out over the creek and lining the creek bank at my house are beech trees. If you don't know what they are, uh, whatever. Beech trees will hold on to their leaves, most of them, until the spring. So what makes the leaf fall off of a beech tree is the new leaf. When the new leaf emerges, the old leaf falls off. So brothers and sisters, we got this residual effect of the old man who still deteriorated and, and the leaves are dried up, but they're still there. And what happens is the spirit of God through the word of God emerges in our life and pushes off the old leaf and the new leaf comes. Now, every illustration breaks down. The difference between you and I and a tree is that we're not passive trees sitting by a creek bank. We're living and breathing, walking human beings. So let me be clear as to what I am not preaching and what I am not teaching and what I think is a wrong way to teach. I am not teaching you let go and... That is not what the Bible teaches, friends. We're not just passive agents that are just blowing in the breeze, let go and let God and whatever comes, comes. No. Walk by the Spirit. You're being told to do that. And when you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now let's look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. <clears throat> Your most powerful enemy is, you want to guess? Me, you, yourself. We don't have Flip Wilson theology. Now, those of you are going to have to go home and look on YouTube and find out who Flip Wilson is. <laughs> he used to do this routine. Flip Wilson was a comedian in the 70s who said, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He did not. Your flesh, you did it on your own. Thank you very much. It's easier to blame the devil. What scripture's doing laying it at your feet. But you need not think that the flesh and the spirit are two equal and opposite forces who are battling each other. Here's what you need to think. This is flesh in this hand. The flesh is ISIS 
And the Spirit's the United States of America. You know this, don't you? The United States can choose to eliminate the world of ISIS. It can do it. Chooses not to. Now, I'm not going to get into political debate of that. Chooses not to do it. Chooses to keep it at bay. The Spirit of God keeps the flesh at bay. But you need to know this. God take you out any moment. He's Lord. He is sovereign. He's God. And he's not in an equal battle with our flesh. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to their flesh, this is why you do it, set their minds on the thing of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, this is part of your growth group text for the week, so I'm not going to spend a long time here. Let's just simply lay down this principle. Whatever your mind is set on, your life follows. So if, if, you, if you spend, by the way, you wonder why I have my phone. It's not so, see that? Preachers used to take their watch off and set it down. I have a timer telling me how long I got left. So I have 31 minutes left. When it turns red up there in the balcony, that means shut up, preacher. Y'all can see that, can't you? All right. It's my own timer. I do it for myself. Why'd I pick it up? These things are running your lives, friends. And if your nose is in this constantly, then your life's going to follow. Wherever you put your mind, your life follows. So mindset on the flesh does the things of the flesh. Verse 18, back to the Galatians. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we're going to deal more with being led by the Spirit, but let's first deal with this phrase, you are not under the law. Does Paul here mean that you're free to sin now? No. What Paul means is that you are now free from sin. You're in a, the new era of redemptive history. Christ has come. He has set us free. He has purchased our, our, our salvation on the cross and through the power of the resurrection. We are now free from sin. We are no longer under the bondage of the law. That is those who are led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led. Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit. So let's just ask a few basic questions here and nail them down. First, who is being led? Answer, true believers. So let's just be careful here. Those who are not Christians are not being led by the Spirit. You've heard me say this before, I'll repeat it. Lost people act like lost people, including your children. We don't want to create false believers, people who think because they're doing certain things, they're Christians. Those who are led by the Spirit are those who have been born again, those who are true believers, those who have been adopted into God's family. They are the sons of God. What does it mean to be led? You say, well, it means to be guided. It means the Spirit helps me with my daily decisions. You're thinking too narrow. 
To be led by the Spirit means that the Spirit of God is directing every area of our life so that we live in such a way that we please God. Listen to me. Many of you in this room are functional deists. Deism believes there's a God, he created the world, now he leaves it alone, except, except when you need him. So some of you are living functional deistic lives that the only time you need the Holy Spirit is when you need a little leadership. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a continual pattern of life where the Spirit of God is controlling, leading us. So what is the result then of being led? What does it look like? It means that those who are being led by the Spirit of God experience true moral and spiritual freedom. They're no longer slaves. They obey God with a gladness of heart. They detest the works of the flesh. They love the word of God. They give evidence of the fruit of the spirit. Their enhanced freedom of access means they approach the throne of grace with boldness. They have assurance that they are in fact the children of God and the fruit of the spirit abound in their lives in such a way that they give glory to God. And before I press into the rest of this message, let's bring an illustration, a teaching from the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter seven. In Matthew chapter seven, verses 17 through 19, Jesus gives a simple illustration. Good tree, bad tree. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces how often? Always. Now, Here's some poor theology that worked into our Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, whatever milieu of mixture we got going on in this part of the world. And here's what it says. You can have a bad limb and a good limb. And you got some good fruit on the good limb and some bad fruit on the bad limb. Jesus didn't talk about limbs. Here's what Jesus talked about, trees. You're either a good tree or you're a bad tree. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. So let's look at this next section. That walking by the flesh produces evident bad fruit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. Now he gives a list of these evident bad fruit. They fall in four realms, sex, religion, society, and drink or intoxicants. First, sex. Sexual immorality, what we're referring to here is sexual relationships, sexual activity outside of marriage. So this is either a person who is married, who seeks a sexual relationship outside of the marriage, or a person who is unmarried, who is seeking a sexual relationship or involved in a sexual relationship without being married. The next word is impurity. This is the defilement or the filthiness that is generated by sexual sin. This is what you feel, and this is what your spouse feels when they catch you in pornography. It's impurity. The last word is sensuality. This is a lack of restraint. It's unbridled passion. It's sexual license. It throws off restraint, and then it flaunts itself. Now hear me on what I'm going to say next. I am firmly convinced that this whole issue with homosexuality and transgenderism is not driven by the fact that people are homosexual and transgendered. What is driving this is sex sensuality. 
It's that we have a culture that's tried everything sexually, so now they're stepping outside of the bounds of a male-female relationship and they're trying things in whatever way. And folks, you ain't seen nothing yet. When a culture gives itself over to permission to seek sensuality, it'll press it further and further until destruction falls on it. Romans chapter one, you can read it for yourself. Next section, religion. This is where works of the flesh show up in religion. Idolatry, it's when we substitute anything at all for the adoration of the triune God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. I didn't see it yet, but apparently there was an article in the paper yesterday about a store up in Dallas that sells Buddhism stuff. And the person was quoted as saying that there's many ways to Jesus. No, there's only one way and it is Jesus. Folks, we make idols out of anything. I've said this before, I'll repeat it. Much of what's going on in sports and entertainment is simply idolatry, it's worship. Am I saying you can't enjoy sports or entertainment? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it is driven heavily by idolatry. The next word is sorcery. It's the Greek word pharmakia. What sorcery means is trying to tap into mysterious powers formulas, incantations, living in the spirit world. So I pulled up beside a car at a stop sign, stoplight yesterday and a big insignia on the back says it's part of the zombie annihilation crew. Take. Folks, we're, we're living in a world that's fascinated with this kind of stuff and is dabbling and pressing further and further into it. Television's evidence, media is evidence. The next area is the area of relationships with other people. And let me talk to you good, tight Baptist for a minute. Pentecostals or Methodists or whoever you are. Here's why, or one of the reasons why the church is declining in this part of the world is because what I'm about to read describes most churches in the South. This ought to break us. Enmity. This means a hatred that lies at the root that leads to conflict, strife. It's a contention that divides people. Jealousy, this is very personal, internal. It is a person who is consumed with wanting what someone has or being glorified among others. Bursts of rage or fits of anger. This refers to savage flashes of anger that are poured out on others. It's an uncontrolled temper. Selfish ambition or rivalries. This is a person who does not focus on the good of others, but are trying to grasp praise for themselves or to get ahead, running over people in the process. Dissensions the division and fragmentation of a community as a result of enmity and strife and all these other things. Factions or divisions. This is the selfish exclusiveness, a party spirit that divides where there should not be a divide. So hear me on this. I've had this conversation with multiple pastors over the course of this year. Multiple churches like Parkwood, good, solid Bible teaching churches that, that pretty much for the most part operate in peace with each other. 
And this political climate has divided multiple churches. I've watched some of what's going on on Facebook. Listen to me. Don't go after each other. That isn't godly. As members of this local church, you ought not to be out on Facebook attacking each other over political and other things. That's just not right. Whether you represent yourself face to face or you represent yourself in the virtual world, you still represent Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Christ. We don't take a party spirit. It's not who we are. Drink or intoxicants, drunkenness. This is using some kind of substance to escape reality to the point that you lose control. Orgies or carousing are when you have taken it so far in intoxication that it leads to wildness of coming together with others, to party together with others, to where you're living as if you are totally an animal, if you will. I want you to notice something as I conclude this list. That the private sins of jealousy and envy are no better than the public sins of intoxication or sexual sensuality. They are all put together. Now I want you to notice one more thing. At the end of what I have for you, verse 21, and things like these. And then you go into verse 21. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Works of the flesh are works of the flesh. Paul's just listed some. He could have went on and on and on and described works of the flesh. And every period of time, every culture has its own unique list of how the flesh plays out, how it plays out here in G-Town. So this is not exclusive, but here's what you do need to hear. Verse 21, I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm gonna walk a tightrope for a second and you gotta be careful that you hear me. The flesh rears up in believers and occasionally a believer acts in a manner they ought not to. So when he says do, he doesn't mean a point in time where you've stepped outside of who you are and done something. Here's what he means. But you gotta own this part. Those who do, present, active, indicative. This is an ongoing practice in your life. This is who you are. In private or in public. If this is who you are, here's what you need to know. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me go back to the bad limb, good limb. You know what's driving that? A false understanding of eternal security. Listen to me. I believe that person who is truly saved is saved forever. But I also believe and understand that people can mock and come up with something that looks like salvation. Get up, walk forward, pray a prayer and go right back to their life or two weeks later back to their life and live in that pattern of life. Listen to me. Here's what the Bible's teaching. That person was never converted. 
How do you know that? How could you be so judgmental? I'm not. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. A person who practices such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if this is your child or a beloved person, you don't need to say, don't you remember what you did when you're 12? No, you need to pray for their salvation. And if that's you, if you've come into this place today and you are walking in sensuality, that has been the mark of your life. You need to repent and come to Christ. You need to confess your sin and walk with him. Why? Because when we walk by the spirit, we produce good fruit. Or let me say it this way. Those who have been born again will walk in him and they will produce good fruit. For the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So these qualities are not the product of human strength. They don't represent qualities of personal behavior that I can decide to do. Things that I can cultivate under my own power. We're not called to summon up some kind of strength from within. What we are called to is a new way of life that is supernatural. It comes from the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Now this list can be broken down into three basic ways of looking at it. First, overarching, which by the way, we're gonna post a blog today that's gonna have an expanded explanation of the fruit of the Spirit working off of uh, something Tim Keller wrote. I'm just gonna explain to you what the fruit looks like. Keller in his writing went a step further and he said, this is what the opposite looks like. And then very insightful, this is what the counterfeit looks like. The fake look. It's worth your time to read. First, love. The word here is agape. It means a self-giving, self-sacrificing love. It's described in 1 Corinthians 13. It means that you serve a person for their good, not yours. It is the mark of new life in Christ. It is what Christ has done for us, and it is evidence that his life is in us. Joy, this is delight in God for who God is, that our joy is in the Lord. Peace, this is a confidence, a rest in the wisdom and the control of God. It is the result of justification that we now have peace with God through Christ. The next is social relationships, patience. That we have an ability to face trouble without blowing up at people or difficult people. <clears throat> Kindness, an ability to serve others practically in a way that makes us vulnerable. Goodness, which shows generosity and heart and action. That we're the same kind of person in every situation. We're not a phony, we're not a hypocrite faithfulness, that we are utterly reliable and true to our word. How many times have you said, man, people around this part of the country used to keep their word. They just don't do that anymore. You know why? There used to be a lot of Christians around here. There's your answer. It's not that we've lost some kind of honor. Faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit. People keep their word because Christ is in them. Gentleness, humility, to be under control. It's the opposite of outbursts and anger. The last is a relationship to ourself. It affects all the rest. Self-control. It means we're not dominated by the flesh. We, we live under restraint. That We pursue the important over the urgent. We're not imposed.
impulsive. We don't live uncontrolled lives. Keller presses further and says that the single word fruit, it's not fruits, single word fruit is drawn from an agricultural word picture. So we need to apply that and think for a moment. Christian growth is gradual. I met a man after the last service who's been a Christian two years. The evidence of self-control in that man's life compared to a man who's been walking with Jesus for 25 years is going to be different. Now, there's going to be some, maybe a little green fruit sticking out there while you've got a, a ripe fruit hanging off this brother. It's gradual. Next, Christian growth is inevitable. A good tree produces, it will, it's coming. Christian growth is internal. It it comes from the spirit of God who is in us. Last, Christian growth is symmetrical. It means, first of all, that the word fruit is singular. So you need to think bunch of grapes instead of apples and oranges and different fruit. But it's also symmetrical in that this, it looks the same in your life as it does in mine producing the same fruit from good trees. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, we've been going for a while here. We've got about 10 minutes left. Just letting you know, that's where I'm at. We've been going for a while here This is crucial to your understanding of this text. If you don't get this, here's one of the unfortunate things. I preached the fruit of the spirit without preaching this verse and I missed it. I mistaught the text. This is crucial to the understanding. Here we go. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have crucified. That's past tense. So the crucifixion of the flesh occurred at conversion when believers died with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I have a question for you and for myself. You ready? Why am I negotiating with a dead man? Why are you negotiating with a dead man or a woman? Why are you still having conversation with her? Why are you acting like he or she still gets a say? You have been crucified. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. To get this sentence, what verse 24 is telling you is there's no shortcut to spiritual victory in the Christian life. Paul's not teaching a second blessing. He's not teaching rededication or a spiritual quick fix. Here's what he's teaching. Consistent, obedient, vigilant renunciation of the world and of flesh. No 
You're dead. I am alive. Christ is in me. We never leave preaching the gospel to ourselves. Hear me. This is all Galatians tied up in a knot right here. The moment you move away from the gospel, who do you start trusting? So I'm then trusting the flesh. Problem. We stay at the foot of the cross. We remind ourselves daily, moment by moment, that we have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul draws two points of application here. Not that this hadn't been application, but two points of application in verses 25 and 26. I'm gonna deal with verse 25, 26 first. Here is the so what. First, good fruit is from a good God, not a good you. Let me repeat that one more time. Good fruit is from a good God, not a good you. You know what your flesh can do? If it can't get you to go down the path of sensuality and drunkenness and all those things, it'll turn on your good fruit. Here's what it'll do. You'll walk away from an instance where God used you and the flesh will go, you are awesome. You just didn't know that was the coolest thing you've ever done in your life. You'll leave preaching or teaching or something like leading a growth group and you'll walk away going, you're the best teacher this church ever had. Show the rest. So when I get here and I get in touch with you, guess what happens to you? Your flesh says, okay, I'm going to jump out in my flesh and here we go. And I'm going to put your flesh in the place and I'm going to put your flesh in the place of my flesh. So what we're going to do is provoke each other. You provoking me by acting all goody two shoes and I'm going to put you down a notch or two. I'm going to tell you why. I'm honest. I want you to know some honest people have hurt me deeply. But some people have told me the truth for my own good and there's a difference. Last one is envying one another. Here's how it works at Parkwood. My kids are so good. Look how lined up they are. They perfect. And then those of us over here that are just wrestling and, you know, we're trying to come to church. They just won't shut up. And I look over there and go, I'm a loser. I am a total and complete loser. Look at their kids and look at my kids. You know what that is? That's envy. That's looking at what God's doing in somebody else. Now, this person may over here may be provoking it, saying, look at me. Look how great. This doesn't happen ever on Facebook, but I'm going on. Okay. <laughs> we remember that the good fruit's from a good God. Anything good in me is from the Lord. And it's not from me. Second, if new life has come, I must, I will keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Live. This is present indicative. This is indicating of your life. 
This is what is true of those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you live by the Spirit. So let's be careful here. This is not something that you're being told to do. If we live by the Spirit, if new life is in us, if we have been saved, if we have been born again, notice it's a conditional question. If. If, if not, if I, have, if I am not living in the Spirit, then I'm not, I can't keep in step with the Spirit. But if new life has come, then I am to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I know there's probably some Marines in here, other people have been in forms in the military, but I love watching those uh, videos of Paris Island. They pull the bus up, and they got those lines and places painted on the sidewalk, and they pour off the bus, and the drill sergeant jumps up in their face, screaming at them, telling them to get in the spot. And here's what you learn in a hurry. Here's what you learn in a hurry. Quit worrying about what the other dude's doing because he might be a total doofus, okay? Don't worry about him. Here's what you better learn. You better learn to hear that man's voice or that woman's voice. You better clue into it. And whatever they tell you to do, you better do it immediately. So the whole success of the military is predicated on being able to hear and to obey. So Paul's doing a military illustration here. He's saying, if you live by the Spirit, then line up with the Spirit. It's actually what it says in the Greek, line up. Now look, look here. This is very personal. I'm not worried about what you're doing. If I get worried about what you're doing, oh, I'm just a helper by nature. You ever got so focused on helping somebody you stopped listening to what God was saying to you and start walking in your flesh? This preacher has. Here's what happens. When, when, I, when I listen and line up with the Spirit and the Spirit says, let's go. You don't, by the way, you're not standing on a line here. You're walking. When we start walking, here's what I notice. There's other people walking with me. Why? Because they're lining up with the Spirit. It's called the church. It's who we are. The followers of Jesus. Pursuing him, encouraging each other, helping each other as we move forward. And listen, brothers and sisters, this is the miraculous work of God. We're not on autopilot. The battle of the flesh continues, but we continue to walk by the Spirit. There's a passive sense and an active sense. We are led, the Spirit takes the lead, we follow, but we walk. Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I am to work out my salvation. There's an active sense, but there is a passive sense of what's going on. It's more powerful. It is God who is at work in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, not primarily my good. When God works for his will and his pleasure, you think it's for your good? Amen, it's for your good. It's the best thing for you. But listen, you're not God. He's not primarily concerned with you. 
God and he works for his will and his pleasure. And the best thing for me is to line up with that. Let me illustrate from my own life. Now be careful here. I'm not trying to provoke you with this illustration. I'm going to get to, I was very humbled by what I'm going to tell you. Remember six weeks or so when I got caught in JFK in the airport, along with thousands of other people who were operating in the flesh? Bless. It it was one of the worst moments of my life. People were mad, angry. The The brawl broke out right after I left. I knew it was coming. It was just seething in that terminal. Well, when I figured out I wasn't going to go anywhere and I didn't want to sleep with the 3,000 other people in Terminal 4, I found somebody, to, a driver, who would take me to a hotel almost at Manhattan. That's a long way from JFK, by the way. I just wanted to sleep. I'd been up for 36 hours. I remember getting to Umar. I remember going to the hotel. We pulled up. I said, Umar, will you come back and get me in the morning? Now, this guy worked all night. He worked about 3 o'clock in the morning. I called him at 8. He got up. I woke him up. He got up and drove me back. Driving back to Umar, Umar was a Muslim man, and I won't tell you the whole story, but I clearly had the opportunity to share the gospel with Umar. And he listened. Now, that's a big deal for a Muslim man to listen to you share the gospel with him. We pulled up to the airport, and I got ready to get out of the car. I said, Umar, I'm gonna thank you for two things. First, I wanna thank you for, for coming to get me this morning. And secondly, I want to thank you for listening to me as I shared the gospel with you. And as I collected my bag up, he turned around and he said to me, I had to. I said, you had to? What do you mean? He said, you were so kind to me last night. I had to come back and get you. I picked my suitcase up and I walked to the terminal with tears pouring out of my eyes. Not three minutes before I met Umar, I wanted to punch another man because he wouldn't get out of the way of the phone. So I could call a hotel. All I can explain to you is on that night between the hotel, airport and the hotel was the spirit of God. It wasn't me. When your mind is set on the flesh, you know what's coming? Flesh. But when your mind is set on the spirit, even when you are faced with difficulty, spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us walk by the spirit. Let's pray. I want you to bow your heads right where you are. I want you to consider with me. I want you to ask yourself some questions. Put your stuff away, whatever. I just want us to remain still for a moment. Here's what I believe. The word of God has been clearly proclaimed to you today. It's been clearly explained. And the spirit of God has made two things clear, maybe three. Number one, Those of you who are in the flesh and you are not Christians, you are not born again and you are destined for hell. 
God has given you this clear message today to call you to repentance, to look to Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross for your behalf and through the power of the resurrection, that you would repent of your sin today and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your need for him, the necessity of what he has done and turn from your sin and ask him to save you right now. Number two, the believer in this room who has set their mind on the flesh and their life's beginning to follow. God has given you this message this day to call you to repentance, to wake you up and to turn your heart and mind back to the things of God. Number three, if you find that as a result of this sermon that you have been encouraged, that you are in fact a child of God, that you are in fact see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, humble yourself and give thanks to the Lord for none of it is from you. God, humble us now as we sing this great hymn. May it reflect our heart and our prayer and may you call people to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.